Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. everybody and thank you for joining us for this episode of imagine this i'm trent i'm brashina and i'm mackenzie and we're thrilled to have you we are here today to talk about a particular play it is the first episode in which we're going to be having like a little book club of our own we're gonna choose a play and discuss it dissect it talk about why we think it's important something that everyone should read why more plays like it should be written and produced all of the things and that play is the thanksgiving play it is so is it is so good it is by larissa fasthorse she is a female native american playwright she is prolific she is profound um she is she's integral I would say, to theater as it stands in the contemporary setting. She's the only female Native American playwright to be produced on Broadway, which is a feat. And she's the most produced Native American playwright, period. Um, So we're thrilled to talk about her and more specifically her play, The Thanksgiving Play. Um, We have all read the play. Obviously, that's how book club works. Um, It's not the kind of book club where like only one person reads it and then everyone else just comes for like wine and snacks. We like actually all read it. It's shocking, really. We don't have snacks, so we had to read it. We don't. We should have snacks. Okay, Future recording podcast snacks. Well, but like nothing, nothing crunchy. I was gonna say that would make yeah. you so self-conscious. MSMR is like <laughs> not the vibe, right? Okay. Anyway, we're getting really off track really quickly, but we're really excited to talk about this. We've read it, and actually, Wild Imaginings is currently producing it. So I have the privilege of being able to have directed this show while we talk about it. So have that added lens to bring to the discussion. Um, Rashina, will you kick us off? What about the Thanksgiving play do we need to dive into? Ooh, so many things. Um, so let's give like a little summary, a little synopsis to y'all first. That's why I had um, her kick it off. She thinks of important things like that so that you know what we're talking about. I love this place so much. I want everyone to understand what we're talking about because the conventions of it are actually like one of the most interesting things to me. Like what, what the playwright is saying and, and playing at that sort of thing. But Thanksgiving play is um, by Larissa Fast Horse. It is about a <laughs> this group of four people who are trying to put on a culturally sensitive Thanksgiving play. They're so woke. <laughs> they're so, so woke. Um, and they're all white. 
or could or one of them is like we think that they could be Native American. They could be white, and then we end up that they're no, actually they're just not. white. Yeah, they're just white. Um, and what's so interesting about that is that Larissa Fastworth is a Native American playwright, and so she wrote this play one because she was tired of her her works not getting produced because she was writing for Native American actors. And so she decided to write a play with all white people that white people couldn't be like, oh, we can't produce it because we don't have the people. No, you ha- you can. You, you just have... don't want to. Well, it, <laughs> like, but I love that, right? Like, yeah. she literally, like, got mad. Yeah. She literally was like, you're going to tell me my plays can't be produced? Well, fine. I will write a play about Native American people without any Native American people in it. Yes. What's your excuse now? And the best thing is that it is a farce. So it is completely over the top talking about our Thanksgiving traditions and the actual like things that were happening at the time of when we think of like Thanksgiving happening. And it does it in such a like beautiful comedic way where some of the laughs are just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is so ridiculous. It's, it's funny. And then the other times you're like, wait, why am I, why am I laughing? (laughs) Why is this funny? And she does it in such an artful way. It's such a good show. Yeah. Well, and what's really brilliant about it, right, is it is absurd it is funny. I mean, it is laugh out loud, start to finish yes. funny, right? But the whole play is about how do you do a culturally sensitive play about Native American people when there's no Native American voice in the room? How do we have conversations in honor of Native American Heritage Month, which is November, without Native American people in our conversations, right? But what's so brilliant about the play is that the play itself becomes the Native American voice in the room because that's who she is. That's where she's writing from. So the whole play creates an answer to its own question. Yes, it's so cool. And I really like the convention of writing this is one of those times where writing outside your experience is actually very interesting because you are you're using your experience of dealing with woke white people to make a statement about woke white people in in this sort of sense and so it makes it it is a very interesting play Trent and I have talked about it quite a bit I've talked about it at Baylor I've talked about it literally everywhere that I can uh, because I think that it's such an interesting play and I think that it becomes even more interesting when you have a director who's a person of color a dramaturg who's a person of color who can inform you know their experience with these types um, of people into the show I think it makes it so much more interesting it's so cool Mackenzie Oh, I always see you turn your head to look at me and I know that I'm about to get put on the hot seat. You're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, what I find really interesting and dynamic about this play is how it uses comedy in order to get across a very important and serious narrative. Like the ideas that this play is addressing are not funny. They need to not be handled with levity and they need to be taken very seriously because they are very, like, serious problems that we are still facing in the U.S. today. 
um, this like erasure of experience. Um, but what the comedy does is it allows this play to be produced in areas that maybe don't have the casting demographic that you would want to put in to tell a story like this that isn't going to be a farce. Um, and I think comedy allows the audience to better accept the ideas that this play is trying to get across because it's like, oh, I don't, I, this is funny. I'm kind of being made fun of, but like, this is funny, but it also is going to like stick in the back of my head. Um, and that's definitely what I took away from this play. And I, so one of the things that I actually said when I was being interviewed about our production of the Thanksgiving play is that it's, it is, it's really special to find a script that is equal parts comedic and insightful, right? It's really difficult to do, but Larissa Fast Horse has done it so beautifully. And why I think it's important is in addition to everything you're saying in terms of like the receptivity of audience members, it also affects who is willing to be an audience member. Comedy is a smaller barrier to entry for people. People who aren't necessarily theater people are willing to come and laugh with you for an hour, right? Um, and we as a company tend to do more drama because it's we like to do plays that are socially conscious and deal with important issues and represent marginalized people groups. And there are simply fewer plays that fit those categories that are comedies, right? And so like some people feel like this type of play might be a little outside of our wheelhouse, but really it's not. Like you're saying, it, the topics aren't funny. They're just being packaged in a way that is palatable. And that sounds like kind of a gross word, I think, but it's true. It's something that people can take in more easily. And like you're saying, it sticks though, right? Mm -hmm. When you take something in, even if it's in a comedic way, once it's in, it tends to stay, right? And so these people are going to be having these conversations, having these thoughts about, you used the word erasure, and that's the word that Larissa Fastworth uses in the play, is the literal erasure of Native American people in our country. Um, one of the lines in the play is the theater teacher going, I really want a Native American actor, but... I don't know any Native American people. Oh, that line is so perfect. I I will say that having, you know, now being a part of a theater, being a part of like casting decisions and that sort of thing, you do have those conversations where you're like, I don't have, I don't know anybody with this voice. It takes a lot of work to get those voices in the room. And one of the, things that I try to stress as a diversity, uh, as a person who specializes in diversity, is that you are not always going to get those people in the room on your first try. Mm. You have to make an effort, especially if your if your company is new, then I think you actually have a little bit more space um, to get those voices in the room because then you're like, you don't have a reputation of having excluded those voices before. If you have a reputation of having excluded voices before, you have to work at least 10 times as hard to get those voices you've excluded in the room because they have a history with your theater. 
And that is true of literally every theater across the country. It's why when, you know, all of a sudden these theaters are like, oh, we want to put on a diverse season. And they're like, we tried to put on a diverse season and we couldn't find anybody. It's because they haven't made the, they haven't gone the full route of being like, we need to invite people into the space. It's, it's casting already is a hard thing. Like you don't know who you're going to get in the room and uh, when you have a show that has specific needs and you're not sure that you're going to get those people, that means you have to start inviting people in. Being like, hey, we want you to come do this play. You're going to have to spend extra money because those actors are probably not going to be in your area. But we need you to come in. You're going to have to go out into, um, into the community you're trying to reach, the Native American community, the black community, the Hispanic community. Like You're going to have to go out and be like, hey, we want to invite y'all into our space sort of thing. And I think that's what Larissa gets at so perfectly in this is that a lot of people just stop at, I don't know anyone. You're not going to. And you have to keep working to bring them into the space. Like, you can't just be like, we're open now. You have to make them feel welcome mm-hmm. as well. And yeah, I love that about this play. Yeah. Also, satire is hard. This will be my plug because I love satire. I'm originally an improv comedian. I love satire. However, it is difficult. (laughs) And a lot of people don't recognize that because we had such good satire in like the early 2000s. Like, I feel like that was kind of like a satire golden age, honestly. Um, And now that we're coming out of it, a lot of people are just like, oh, this is satire. No, it's not. You just were not funny. Sorry, <laughs> but this is actually good satire and that's hard to come by. Yeah, it is. I think that um, insightful comedy satire is one of the hardest things to write and perform um, and people don't give it enough credit. Um, and to your point about casting, I think that another what I might add is that when people are reached out to it's really easy for them to feel like the token diverse person, right? And so part of that work that you're describing is ensuring that they have a regular seat at the table, an equal seat at the table, a place at the table where their voice is heard and respected about things other than their diverse perspective, Mm -hmm. right? And that's so important because what you don't want is to invite people in but then you only have them there to give their opinion about one thing, right? Mm-hmm. Brashina's opinions shockingly extend beyond her opinions as a black woman. Oh, wow. My opinions shockingly extend beyond my opinions as a gay man, right? Like our minority status does not define the whole of who we are or the whole of what we have to offer. Gasp. I know. But I think it's really, I know, what a concept, but it's really important, right? And it's so easy, even with really good intentions, and frankly, mostly with good intentions, to still slide into that. And so you want to do that work, but making sure that they are a part of what you're doing, not just a way to be diverse. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with that. And Mackenzie, you could probably speak to this a little bit, but I know that sometimes you get invited into a space and you're really excited. And then they're like, so what's your female perspective on this? Or what's your black perspective on this? And then you're like, oh, 
Okay. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> Glad to know why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> it can be very. I I was uh, on Twitter. I'm always on Twitter, and um, I was reading a tweet where somebody was like, "So often people ask you to be black or a woman, and they don't believe that the two can coexist, <sighs> and that's sometimes how it feels going into different spaces. Is that like?" They want you for one thing, and then when you bring in another perspective, they're like, "Oh, hold on, wait a minute. I don't. That's not what we wanted here. We wanted this." Um, and so, like having having plays like Larissa Fast Horse, I I actually think that one of my favorite things is the comedy of it, and that's because as a as a black person, I don't get very many chances to laugh at woke white people that are actually funny. Like sometimes mm. it's woke white people making fun of themselves and they miss what's funny about it for me. And so like plays like Larissa Fast Horse's um, Thanksgiving play really do give me an opportunity to be like, oh, it's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> this is happening to everyone. So, yeah. Um, so I think my takeaway, right, is that Yes, it's a satire, but these are also real people. Like, you walk away from this play going, oh, no, I know these people. <laughs> you yes. might even walk away going, uh -huh. oh, no, I am those people, <laughs> right? But, like, that's that's the beauty of it, though, is that, yes, it's funny, and, yes, it's over the top, but it's also real. Mm -hmm. And so it's hilarious, but, like, a little bit hilariously painful mm -hmm. if you actually like stop and think about it yeah. because you're going wow like these people really mean well and I think that's why it works right if they were just four jerks it wouldn't be funny but they're four people who are actually trying really hard to do the right thing and just failing so miserably yes. <laughs> and and that's why it works because it's so real and something that she's done that's really fascinating to me and was really fun to play with in terms of directing was she has these little interludes and in, that interject the main narrative. Um, and they're like real songs and lesson plans found on like public sharing websites for teachers and for educators. Mm -hmm. And it is like shocking, appalling, alarming, the kinds of things that enter into our educational spaces without us realizing what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the one that I'll mention, and there's a lot of them and they're all equally appalling in different ways, but there's one where there was literally a song that was listed on this website, and this is in the play, and it uses the term Indian, right? There's two little Indians in the song. And there's a comment underneath the song from a teacher that says, try having your students to say Indian instead of Indian. My students loved it. It was so fun.
see the shock on my face, but I mean, I also should not be shocked. I mean, we taught Little Hiawatha for a very scary long time in this, in the, in like early, that was one of the first poems that I learned was Little Hiawatha, which is an extremely racist poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Um, uh, And I bet you learned it for Thanksgiving. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It, the things that are taught in school are sometimes equally parts terrible and informative. Like you do need to know about the existence of these things. However, sometimes we venerate them by actually having you like go through it. I, I had an assignment one time where I had to write as if I were um, a slave in the 1800s. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, my, I'm sorry. Again, like Regina <laughs> said, you can't see the shock on my face. My mouth is like hanging open. Yes. Yeah. It was it was one of those assignments where it was like, right as if you were a person in the 1800s. And I was like, well, uh, um. <laughs> so a slave? <laughs> I was like, well, question mark. <laughs> so like you do have those things come up because people have not thought about like, oh, right, 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 right. There were not just white people. At, in the 1800s <laughs> I, I'm like not recovered I like need a minute oh my god! Like frozen <laughs> that's my privilege as a minority I get to shock white people like once a day <laughs> and this is one of them <laughs> yeah so like oh that like hurts my whole soul I wow I think, though, even... I'm about to put McKinsey on blast. I think even, like, less egregious, though. We, like... like, How often do our elementary schools, like, play dress-up as pilgrims and Indians? There's a really adorable picture of McKinsey as a pilgrim. Just... That's why I was putting her on blast. She's a cute little pilgrim. And it's, like... It's I think it's hard for people to look at adorable small children in little pilgrim hats and think that it's problematic, right? Because, and yet, kind of is. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, let's dress our children up as adorable little genocidal land stealers. That's yes. precious. I was five. I was five. <laughs> I'd see nobody blames you. And it's, frankly, no one even yeah. blames like your parents or the teachers. It is it like it is so ingrained, right? And that's it what is. I'm saying. It's not like it. No one at your school, no one in your family was like, "Let's represent racism. Let's dress up our child as a pilgrim." Consciously, exactly. They were not doing it consciously. That, that was not the choice that they made, literally, mm-hmm. right? Implicitly, yes. Culturally, we have a problem, yeah. right? Societally, we have an issue Uh where we fail to recognize the vast injustices that have been done and the way that they continue to be represented on a day-to-day basis. To me, is just another layer to the Thanksgiving play because in it, by reading, you know, the history lessons that Mm -hmm. some teachers have, by actually injecting in the history and the actual ways in which... Native Americans were erased on purpose by white people. And then it's happening like still in a modern context to me. That's another layer to the show is that there was a conscious effort to erase 
this group of people. There was a conscious effort to erase Native Americans and indigenous people um, by white people when they first got over here by like killing and maiming and, um, you know, like all sorts of things, all sorts of terrible, horrible things. And now there is still that effort that's happening on an unconscious level because that first campaign was so effective um, of just completely rewriting history to leave out Native Americans and indigenous people. Well, and it's almost like because that first effort was so successful, now it's like culture wants to continue that effort because they're uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with how successful it was. Mm -hmm. So rather than deal with that discomfort, they're like, well, we'll just keep doing it so we don't have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not how you grow. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's yeah, she's showing us the adorable picture. I'd seen it, Brashina hadn't. She honestly, Mackenzie looked a little bit the same when she was five <laughs> as she does now. Like it's the same smile, the same hair. She's just like not tiny anymore. Well, she's tiny, like adult tiny, just, but not I'm like child tiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it it really is like something that's ingrained in culture, mm-hmm. and that's what I think. That's what I think is the real like brilliance of the play is that you can keep going back to it and being like, oh, oh, right. We are doing that. Like even today, like the way that we teach the way that we teach Native and Indigenous history, like we still teach about scalping, you know, in a lot of ways. And we don't teach that, like, actually the first scalpers were the pilgrims, the the white settlers that were coming over they were the ones who were doing it first and the native americans and indigenous people were like um no don't do that so we'll do it back um but they're the ones who have the reputation for being such like vicious people and which is just so like if you think about it it's almost comical in a way like if it wasn't so sad it would be comical And I think that, um, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot is why theater is important in a contextual way, right? And, like, Mackenzie, you're currently in London. Like, this play wouldn't be the same produced there because it's specifically about American history and the way that we have whitewashed it, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And that's one of the beautiful things about it is that it's a specific it's a specific play for a specific country, but really what's cool is that it could be produced anywhere here and matter equally as much. I mean, what we don't like to talk about is that there were people all across this whole land that just aren't here anymore because we shoved them into little smaller groups and random places that oftentimes have nothing to do with their people or where they were originally from. And that's one of the reasons that um, land acknowledgements are really important. I think we can't talk about the Thanksgiving play and talk about Native Americans in theater without talking about the movement toward land acknowledgements. Um, I think that they are really important. What they are is people before events or in public spaces reading or reciting an acknowledgement 
that names the groups of people whose land this was and recognizes that we are residing on it unseated, right? They didn't give it to us. We took it and that we are residing on land that was stolen, that our lives and our cities are built upon land that was unethically taken from groups of people who shouldn't have been pushed out in the way that they were. And so it's a way of honoring the heritage of a place, the culture of a place, the people whose land this was. And theaters across the country are starting to do it. And I think that it's beautiful and important and a way of dismantling systems of racism and discrimination. Um, and, And it's such a small thing, right? But it really, really does matter. The small part is the first part. So like when I was... I do research into land acknowledgments. That's what you do as a diversity specialist sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And land acknowledgement, the written part of it is just the first part, which does feel small in comparison to everything else, gestures to history. Um, It does feel small. But the second part to a land acknowledgement is that you are actually making a commitment to working with the tribe, the group, the people that were from that area. So you make an effort. So that could mean different things for a lot of different places. You have to go and talk to the elders um, of whichever group land you are on. Um, You can't just be like, I'm going to donate $5,000 to the scholarship for Native Americans and think that you're done. Mm -hmm. It has to be an ongoing, you are making a commitment to an ongoing relationship with the tribes that were in your area. Um, And that, that is the hard work. And that's the biggest piece of the pie. So for a theater that could look like several different things that could look like having more Native American playwrights in your season. That could look like inviting in a Native American troupe to perform in your theater. That could look like going out and volunteering at your local um, indigenous community. Um, Or, you know, it could look like a bunch of different things, but you are constantly in communication with the Native American and indigenous population in your area or that was in your area. So sometimes you're reaching out outside of yourself. I know that a lot of the tribes that were originally in Texas have now moved to Oklahoma or been moved to Oklahoma. So like a lot of the land acknowledgements that are happening here, we're not even working necessarily with people who are always by us. We're talking to elders that are in another state and they're coming in and talking to us about like, okay, these are the people that you need to talk to in your area and how you need to interact with them and that looks a lot different um than just saying than just acknowledging because the acknowledgement is important but it's the first step Mm -hmm. you then have to like actually do the work yeah and like Virginia was saying it doesn't mean that they're going to be right there Mm -hmm. in your city texas isn't the only place where people have been so far displaced that they're often not even in the area Mm -hmm. right and sometimes as is the case actually with waco there aren't even necessarily people representing certain tribes anymore right so it's important to dig far enough back that you are honestly and accurately representing whose land it was. But then in your second step, 
there is a certain level of the best that you can do. And I say that not to get you out of anything. It is hard work and you have to put it in. But there is a certain level of unfortunate reality. We've been talking about the erasure of Native American people. And part of that is that there are certain groups that were erased. Mm -hmm. And so you may have four tribes, as is the case with Waco that lived here, and you don't have representatives of all of those tribes still living. Um, and that's a part of the work that you do is uncovering that reality and being able to spread that truth mm -hmm. and then speaking with members of the tribes who do still exist. Um, I wanted before, I, before we ended this conversation to read Wild Imagining's land acknowledgement as an example in case you haven't heard one before right mm -hmm. it is something that is becoming increasingly common thankfully and if your theater doesn't have a land acknowledgement you should have one um, I would mm -hmm. say I encourage you to have one but that's not strong enough just you should have one period frankly um, and so I encourage you to create one if you don't have one already, but I'm going to let Mackenzie read the one that we use um, just so you can hear an example of one out loud. Obviously, this is specifically for Waco and wherever your theater is located, it should be specific to where you are. Um, but we put this in our programs. We read it before events um, and it's our way of taking part in the process that Brashina has described. Okay, here we go. We are gathered on the unceded land of the Comanche, Waco, Tawakoni, and Wichita peoples, now known as Waco, Texas. I ask you to join me in acknowledging these tribes, their elders, both past and present, as well as future generations. Wild Imaginings acknowledges these people and their stewardship of the land. We share this acknowledgement as part of an ongoing work towards equity and anti-racism. And that last sentence has to be more, as Brashina said, than lip service, right? It has to actually be ongoing work toward anti-racism. And that's hard and it's time consuming, um, but it, it really matters. Um, it does. And so producing a play like the Thanksgiving play, being able to have conversations like this, being able to hear from Native American persons in the process of producing the Thanksgiving play, all of those things are integral to this work. Any final thoughts about the play? I think that we have covered a lot of really interesting things, right? That you can, in fact, produce a play about a people group who aren't represented in the play, right? Mm -hmm. Thanks to the genius of Larissa Fasthorse, that comedy is a way of uncovering truth and presenting difficult subject matter in a way that maybe more people are willing to engage with and that there is a way of infusing examples from real life in a creative way that adds layers of present oppression upon historical oppression. Well, what's that, what's that saying? Life imitates art and art can imitate life as well. That's Mackenzie's favorite. You want to, <laughs> you want to plug that? Oh, that um, art imitates life, but as the one and only Trent said in our first episode, when art is good, life also imitates that. Ooh. Ooh. Wow, I'm so smart. <laughs> <laughs> uh. That was so good.
Thanks. Well, I will let my past words um, end this episode. Hopefully we are producing art that is good enough that life seeks to imitate it. Um, this has been an episode talking about the Thanksgiving play by Larissa Fast Horse. If you like hearing us dissect current plays, let us know. We will have more of these book clubs and maybe next time we'll have non-crunchy snacks. Who knows? Um, <laughs> But for now, thank you for joining us to Imagine This. You can find us on Instagram at Imagine This Theater Pod Theater with an R-E or wildimaginingswaco.com or wildimaginingswaco on Instagram or through our wonderful producers, Rogue Media Network.